This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him in their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. We're talking today with Marilyn Wesson, who has served for over 20 years in roles related to faith formation and evangelization at both the parish and diocesan levels. She received her Doctor of Ministry in Evangelization from the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., and is the author of Building a Firm Foundation, an invitation to parents of children preparing for the sacraments, available on our Sunday visitor at osv.com. It's an eight-week evangelization and formation program for parents and guardians whose children are preparing for their first sacraments. And of course, that's me again this year because we have a whole parcel of children here at home. Um, and back in my days when I was working in faith formation at a parish level, there is this challenge of how do I fulfill my role as a catechist, as as the person at the parish who has a, a canonical and juridical uh, mandate to make sure that people are formed in the faith and that they are receiving the sacraments prepared. How do I do that in a way that's actually going to make a lasting impact? And of course, the, the research that's out there says that uh, you need both involved parents and you need other adults who are active in their faith uh, to be influences in the life of the children as they're growing up in the faith. I'm sure that you have uh, probably on uh, in your own experience a number of stories of people who say that they grew up in the Catholic Church, but they didn't either. They didn't meet Jesus until uh, until they left much later in some other context, or that that in some way. Um, that their upbringing or even going through multiple years of Catholic school, somehow they didn't really grasp the personal nature of the faith. It always just came across as rules and, and, um, uh, do's and don'ts and, you know, the big, the big scary crosses and the nuns with the rulers, right? Uh, that's the, on the mind of every faith formation, every catechist person as this time of year rolls around, because the goal is to be able to impart the faith in a way that is more than that. It's more than the rules. It's more that, that it's in some way a personal encounter with a person of Jesus Christ. And so one of the challenges we have in the parishes is deciding what resource is there out there that's going to help me to convey this in a way that is going to capture the attention of the children? Of course, the answer is that no program is going to do that really well. What's needed is for the, the domestic church to be equipped to be able to live out that faith in, in a way that invigorates the, the, the theological imagination of the children as they grow in the faith. So, what, what's the answer then? Well, the answer is maybe a program is needed, but the program is that thing that's directed at the parents to enliven their faith so that they can pass it on. And, and as I understand it, that's precisely what this book seeks to do. Marilyn, thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, thank you for having me and for give, uh, giving me the opportunity to talk more about this. It's a tool for catechists, and specifically mm -hmm. catechists who work with families and parents whose children are preparing for sacraments. And those could be not only the first sacraments, but also confirmation. In fact, in my research and then anecdotally, what I discovered is that by the time a child gets to be confirmation age, the parents probably need as much formation and evangelization as they might 
prior to, you know, when they were, their children were receiving their first sacraments. Um, it's, it, it, when I was, I, I, I became very interested in this whole topic back about, oh, eight years ago when Pew released their study on the, the changing religious landscape in America. Yeah. And it just, it, I was in the middle of my doctoral studies and I was actually going to um, have my concentration in pastoral care and counseling. But then it's like the Holy Spirit intervened and I was listening to a seminar about what was happening out there, um, not only in, in, in the Catholic church, but in other churches. And I, I just, it kept me up at night. I, I would go to sleep thinking about it. And then my question to the good Lord was, okay, well, what can I do? How can you use me to serve the church? And so the culmination of that prayer and that request was this book, which is a curriculum book, again, for catechists, but it's basically an evangel evangelization and formation program, which takes parents to the very beginning and helps them understand why they were Christian, and then how important it is for them to be in the faith formation of their child. Um, and not just during the time that they're preparing for the sacraments or for confirmation, but all throughout their lives, from the, from the time they're, they're infants. And, you know, they, they, they bring their child to, the, to church for baptism. I mean, it's just, it, it was astounding to me how many parents I personally interacted with as I was conducting the program myself who really didn't get it. They did not have a personal attachment to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then I read the, the, the data by the Center for the Applied Research in the, in the Apostolate, which is a Catholic research organization, and only 50%, according to their research, 50% of Catholics know the teaching on the real mm -hmm. presence. And of that 50%, only 40% believe it. Mm -hmm. That's, and I'm not good at math, but that's a small percentage of Catholics yeah. that don't believe that. Well, and, and this herein is the challenge. Of course, when, when CARA is doing their numbers, uh -huh. they are casting that net wide to everyone who calls themselves Catholic. So right. you're getting that number um, partially from people who, who were baptized Catholic. They know they're right. Catholic but they, they don't attend services. So right. they don't go, they don't go to mass. They haven't found their way into the church except, and this I think is, is relevant to our discussions today. Mm -hmm. uh, when their children are ready for the first sacraments, there right. is this understanding that now I need to do that for my children, what my parents did for me, because it is the family thing to do. Exactly. Uh, and so we, this is a prime opportunity to, to reinvigorate and to capture the imagination of people who are returning to the church uh, because, and we ran, I ran into this all the time when I was doing um, faith formation at parishes, is that programs are seen as hoops I have to jump through. 
in order to get the the prize at the end of it, rather than things that I need to prepare for to dispose myself and my family to receive the graces of the sacrament. Oh, exactly. And uh, (laughs) I was, uh, it happened several times, again, when I was conducting the program, um, I'd have parents come to me and say, why do I have to attend this program? Why do I have to, you know, be here and and everything? And I, they said, I went to Catholic schools. I graduated from a Catholic university. And my response would always be, I'm so very glad you're here. Here, mm-hmm. where would you like to sit? Yeah. And, you know, I didn't try to, I didn't engage in a long explanation. I just welcomed them. And... Yeah. Let the let the, the program, which I credit completely to the Holy Spirit, because anything I could conceive or write about or do was I, I I'm convinced was you know spirit inspired. So I was just used as the person to put it on paper, so to speak, or up on the on the you know the screen the projections projection screen, but. Um, I was always amused, and it was so funny because some of those same parents I would notice would be the ones paying the most rapt attention mm-hmm. during our sessions, our time together. You know, and I, that that was that was hopeful. That gave me hope that maybe something was, you know, striking yeah. a chord with them. Now let's talk for a moment about the, the 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 makeup of any any time that you do something at the parish. Right, you're going to have people who who have not been in this place since they were baptized. They or they haven't been they haven't been dark in the door of a church since their first communion, and here they're bringing their children back, and and that is a, a, a joyous thing. Right, it, sitting at the same table, you're going to have people who uh, who come to mass once a month. Sitting at that same table, you're going to have people who are in the pew every single Sunday, and you're going to have people that are there at daily mass, and they're all bringing their children to the same place. It's this this um, wide tent, a conglomeration of here comes everyone. One of the challenges that we experience as we uh, as formators is how do you reach every person in such a way? When Saint Benedict's talking about the the election of an abbot, he he talks about being such that um, that the strong are challenged, but the weak are not overwhelmed. And, and that's, I think, the common thread for us as parents. It's the common thread for us as, as formators. Uh, how do we reach each of those places, each of those people, with, um, with what they need to be inflamed with the Holy Spirit, to be able to be the, the, the domestic church in their own home? Well, Again, inspired by the Spirit, it dawned on me that you had to appeal to the heart and the mind. And that there's and there's that old adage or saying that there's 18 inches between the heart and the mind. Mm-hmm. They need you need to have a connection between the two. Uh, too often, um, if you attend just any, I don't know, uh, class of any program, given program you'll get a lot of heady, deep doctrine and dogma discussed. And, you know, for people that have very little understanding of theology to begin with, um, it can be just overwhelming to them. 
And so the program is starts at the very beginning and addresses things that and questions that the parents of, of whatever their status is as far as church attendance are probably asking themselves or trying to understand better. Um, and I didn't, you know, what was amazing to me is the group, the three groups of parents that I worked with, I don't recall, but it just, on one hand, I could, you know, list or name or identify the families or the parents that attended mass regularly. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that, you know, I'd, I'd look because I, I do. I would do surveys before and after, and I'd look at the. They were anonymous surveys, so I wanted to make sure no one, the people, could be very honest. And it was, um, it, it, it kind of broke my heart, but at the same token, I realized it needed it needed to be addressed. The non participation, and I'm talking specifically, probably at the parish level, now. And I guess it depends on how large a parish is and um, how many people, you know, are enrolled there and that sort of thing and what the requirements are. Um, a lot of times I've been told that the parents of the parochial school children are more likely to be more regular attendees at mass than the ones that bring their children to the parish, you know, the parish programs either on Sundays or during the week, and just anecdotally talking with other directors of religious education or formators, they all that was that was a problem. Um, I belong to a Facebook forum for directors, the Catholic directors of religious education, and it never fails. There are people that ask. How do you get your families to come to mass? Do you make them sign a bulletin to you, you know to prove they've been to mass? And I, I, I just well, I, first of all, I would never ask people to prove they've been to mass. I think that's mm-hmm. a little heavy-handed in a sense. That's just my personal opinion, and it's not a judgment or criticism of of people or parishes that require that, um, because that's very important in the formation of children that. Why are they coming to us if they don't even go to Mass themselves? I mean, what's the purpose of them learning the faith if they're not going to be t- brought to Mass to be able to practice their faith? Yeah, what's what's the point of, of First Communion if you're not going to have, you know, Eighth Communion and Twentieth Communion? Exactly, or lifelong, you know? So um, anyway, I just, I worked hard with this program and I talk about it in the introduction. I have rather, it's not too lengthy an introduction, but it's it's a meaty introduction that taught that is addressed specifically to catechists to explain the necessity of it in the church um, worldwide, not not just in the American church, but worldwide. And the fact that it's going to be released in Spanish next year is, you know, I, I that. That thrilled me to know that, and I'm long term. I'm hoping that it will happen in other languages as well. So, mm-hmm. um, I, because I really think that this is a program that can be useful, and it's the only one of its kind to date. 
there will probably be other iterations of it coming from other publishers as they learn about it and go, oh, this is this is the this is what we've been missing. This is the beginning component of family faith formation. And basically what it is is teaching the kerygma, pro- proclaiming the kerygma. Mm-hmm. And it's very basic. It, people that have uh, worked with the RCIA will recognize it as a parallel program to the inquiry uh, set portion of the um, RCIA or OCIA now as it's called. But, um, but it just, it's, very, it's very basic. It's very simple. But from my own experience, and from the feedback I received, it was effective in awakening parents, some parents. There, there are some people that yeah. well, you, you'll, you won't really, it's like, it's like sowing seeds. It's like the parable of the sower of the seeds. You sow your seeds, you do, your, and then it's up to God. You sow the seeds and it's up to God to water the garden. You know, and so that's, I I look at it that way, that this is uh, a seed to sow, and then you just pray for the Holy Spirit for that to take root in the hearts and minds of the parents who are participating. So this is an eight-week program. Yes. It, does it run concurrently with the the faith formation, the the sacramental preparation, or is it something that is a kind of prerequisite and and precedes that that process? No, the the, the way I uh, designed it, and it should be run, is like for instance, if you're doing kind of the normal, which is how most parishes conduct a school year type of schedule, is that this happens at the very beginning, concurrent for their children, who their children are you know, are becoming um, oriented into the, the program itself and they're learning some basics themselves because some of these children have never been to faith formation of any kind. So, um, and it's a precursor to the family faith formation programs that often parishes will utilize to and send home books or have them come to the classes with their children periodically. So you you would do this like at the very beginning, concurrent with their and the the reason was designed that way. They could be in a class while their child is in a class at the same time. So it's not disruptive to the family schedule. We're not asking parents to come. You come this night or this day, and then your children come another night or day. I mean that's just that that's not practical. So you build it in so that you're working with them for eight weeks while their children are working on learning about the the, the beginning learn teaching about the faith for them. And um, it th- that schedule in every in both parishes where I conducted the program seemed to work very well. The parents didn't have to go sit out in the car or they didn't go to coffee. They just came to the class and. You know, they kept coming back. So I figured, well, they must not hate it. (laughs) Right. That was a good sign. (laughs) Is there some amount of um, conversation and and, uh, group discussion that goes on in the class, or is it primarily uh, a kind of a receptive hearing the kerygma proclaimed and just receiving that? It's it's a combination. Mm -hmm. There is a presentation component, which is 15 to 20 minutes, and you're working on ideally a 75-minute 
block because that usually a lot of parishes do an hour and 15 and you have you want to have a little bit of a gathering time even for the parents to come and kind of settle down and maybe grab a snack or at least some water or coffee depending on the time of day and uh then after that the presentation a presentation would you know begin and then after that hopefully you have enough at least 15 to 20 minutes of small group discussion among the the participants and I really like round tables for that. I, I recommend if the parish has round tables, do that instead of a classroom. Everyone has their own, you know, seat type of situation. Because round tables tend to promote unity. The people are sitting there, it's easy for them to turn and talk to each other. Um, and everyone can see everybody. So uh, I'm, and it's really when in the book I, I'm very specific about my be, the recommendation best practices recommendation. Let's just put it that way. And um, but I. I always tried to build in a, a nice chunk of time for them to engage in small group. And um, that was always very animated because the presentation wasn't so long in most instances that they just sat there and had to listen and receive and receive. But I, inters- I interspersed the presentations with interesting either graphics or if I could find a, a relevant video of some sort that was appropriate and Catholic-based that I thought would be interesting to the group to illustrate a point. Um, but uh, the one thing I did and I, I recommend that I found very helpful and brought tears to people's eyes at the end is I have recommendations in the book for songs to be played and listened to, sort of to meditate. And very few of them are Catholic. They're not Catholic hymns. They're, some of them are popular. Um, there are a few by some more the more contemporary uh, Catholic artists, but some of them are just sort of generic um, contemporary Christian, what's called praise and worship music, but speak specifically to the topic that we have just discussed. And there's one on prayer that's very powerful. And then the ending song and those those ending moments when they would just sit there and listen and meditate on the words, the lyrics of a song that was related was when I just would see light bulbs going off. And I saw the heart opening. Mm -hmm. And because I would be I was observing, you know, the group as as they were. listening and i i rarely saw anyone look away or look bored or you know roll their eyes so um again i thought okay the spirit's on to something here you know and I, I i felt um invigorated and energized and like okay i'm on the right track because mm-hmm. i was trying i was hopefully making that connection between heart and mind a couple of logistic questions. I, when you have people at a round table, um, did you have one of your volunteers at each table as well to kind of, or did you assign table leaders or is it just kind of luck of the draw, whatever table you're at, that's the discussion that you get to be a part of that day? There were no table leaders. What we had was we had a table tent on each table that gave the basic rules of how to conduct a small group discussion. You know, people you know, say, don't hog the discussion. Uh, put it in nicer terms, of course. It'll give everyone time, a uh, you know, chance to speak. And uh, then there would, there would be a list of questions. 
And, you know, you look at the groups and it, it, invariably the group chose their own leader, you know, someone to ask the question, right? And But I never assigned anything. I just let them do what they wanted to because what I wanted to do was promote community even at that table. I wanted people to f- be able to um, bond in some way, even in that moment with the other participants there at their table. And it's funny, it's like any t- in anything else you conduct, once they go to one table, the first session, they're going to be that same table session eight. It's, it's just, yeah. we all do that. We go find our, our spot for attending um, a multiple course seminar or class, and that's our spot. <laughs> so, but no, I didn't, it was, it was very um, unstructured in that regard. Yet the conversations were very animated. I never listened in on them. Again, I was observing how people interacted with each other and how they participated. It's always amazing in those situations to see people engaged in conversation because we have our our, our best laid plans of setting out the, the the material that we want to pass on, but it's always amazing to see the way that the group dynamic uh, has so much to do with how the material is received. That being able to talk through and wrestle through ideas and concepts and share anecdotes of personal stories and see how that resonates with someone else or hear someone else's experience and have that be kind of a, a reiteration of the point in a way that helps us to understand it more fully. And I think that that's something that, that perhaps we neglect, um, maybe in the Catholic context that, that the Protestant churches seem to have kind of figured out when their Bible studies or their small groups or whatever it is that they're doing is this idea that we are made for community and we process issues of the faith so well when we are doing it together, iron sharpening iron as one person sharpens another. Oh, absolutely. And not only that, but getting the parents together. And again, these are parents that were bringing their children to parish for formation. And the majority of them were not regular mass attenders. I mean, they they were what you might even call nominally Catholic in their beliefs. And so to have them see them so, observe them so interested and engaged in connecting with other parents there. And again, some were, you know, there were some that were um, more devout in, in all probability um, or practiced their faith in a, in a deeper way than other parents, but that's what's wonderful about that aspect, that small group discussion, is they still had that common uh, commonality that they were there. They The one assumption I make up front and the, the program is you have to assume that every parent coming wants what's best for their child. Mm-hmm. If you work from that assumption You've, you're working from the best assumption possible because what you are awakening them to, and this is what the whole you know, aim of the program is, is to awaken them to the importance of a relationship with Jesus and his church. You know, it's not just Jesus and them, it's Jesus and his church. And something they may not have really ever heard before. <laughs> 
We're talking today with Marilyn Wesson, who has uh, written the book, Building a Firm Foundation, an invitation to parents of children preparing for sacraments. It's available on our Sunday visitor, osv.com. And don't go anywhere because there is so much more to this conversation coming right after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. I've got a kid, my, oh, which number is this now? Uh, one, two, three. My sixth, my sixth is going, th- or seventh, we'll count this later, is going <laughs> well, God through. God bless you either way. <laughs> <laughs> going through First Communion this year. And then, of course, the process uh, is, is always involved. Um, we want to make sure that they... You know, they go to they go to mass. We answer questions. We talk about the faith at home. We pray at home. But yet, there is still some aspect um, that that is better suited to uh, to a classroom. Uh, the church even talks about this. The church talks about parents as the primary educators, uh, but they the, the church means that that term primary educators not necessarily as. Um, the the pinnacle, but rather as the the first. We are the first teachers of the faith. Uh, and the church still reserves for herself um, and canonically requires her parishes to, to provide ongoing uh, faith formation, specifically around the sacraments, to make sure that that each person approaching the sacraments is properly disposed for the sacraments. And so that that goes, you know, we're going to have classes um, for parents who are going to go baptize their children. Because if you are a parent bringing your child. Of course, we can't prepare the child to be properly disposed. We have to prepare the parents uh, unless the child, of course, is over seven, and then we put them through the the OCIA adapted for children. Um, we have the, the first communion that we prepare the children. We help them to see the nuances and beauty of the faith in at the level that they can understand it. But at the same time, uh, we should never assume that we are finished in uh, in grasping the faith. Uh, so e- even though I have gone through this process multiple times before with multiple children, I'm going to be going to those classes. I'm going to be sitting down with, uh, with my seven-year-old and walking through because he's going to process it in a different way. And I might hear something new because I'm never fully there. We don't graduate from, from growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, it's one of the the particular tricky aspects uh, as a catechist as in in faith formation is to somehow be able to communicate these truths of the faith without it somehow feeling like a classroom because the classroom inevitably in our mind makes us think of of tests and graduating like once i i'm I'm in my learning mode and I'm one of these days once I learn it all I'm going to be done uh, and yet you've got St. Thomas Aquinas, who at the very end of his life, uh, one of the most brilliant theologians in the Western Church. And towards the end of his life, he he has a mystical encounter with Christ, a personal encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. And he comes away from that saying, everything I've ever written is a straw. And he never wrote again uh, in, in the little bit of time that he had left. So too, 
each of us, we could learn everything that there is to learn in a book. And yet there's something essential and core to the faith that transcends all of that. And it comes from our personal encounter with a personal God who wants to meet us where we are and make us sharers, as the scriptures say, sharers in his divine nature so that we can be forever one with him. This is, this is beyond anything that we can, can grasp or put into words and transmit in a logical, educational way. This is something that has to be encountered and experienced. And the challenge for us as catechists, and of course, Marilyn Wesson, our guest today, uh, talks about this and helps uh, helps facilitate this encounter, we still have to transmit that faith somehow. There has to be an invitation. There has to be a proclamation of this good news, an invitation, so that that encounter can blossom and grow and and eventually, hopefully, get to a Thomistic place where where we share with St. Thomas Aquinas that mystical encounter with God. Again, I, uh, we're talking today with Marilyn Wesson. Uh, she has served for over 20 years in roles related to faith formation and evangelization. She's the author of the book, Building a Firm Foundation, an invitation to parents of children preparing for the sacraments. It's available on our Sunday visitor, osv.com. Uh, this is something that if you are a catechist or a faith formation director, you need to know about. If you are not a catechist or faith formation director, but you know one, uh, this is an opportunity to share with them uh, this new uh, opportunity, this new way of approaching and preparing parents so that they can then prepare their children in the faith. Marilyn, thank you again for being with us today. Well, thank you again. So we're talking about uh, this this program, eight weeks, eight-week program for parents as their children are beginning their faith formation journey and uh, preparing for the sacraments. We invite the parents to be a part of this class as well. And of course, you can do whatever you want You can uh, to, to entice them, whether that be uh, promises of, of coffee and donuts in the classroom as well, uh, and an opportunity to hear in a simplified way, the kerygma. And of course, the kerygma, again, it's a fancy word for saying the basic tenets of the gospel, that 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 we were created to be in communion with God, that the fall uh, disrupted that communion, that Jesus Christ was God incarnate who came uh, and took on our human nature, lived, suffered, died, rose so that we could be reconciled to the Father. That's the shortest way I can possibly say it. Um, so you have this eight-week course taking parents through the kerygma. Can you break that out a little bit for us? You, you already told us it's about 15 minutes of presentation and then a lot of group discussion, of course, guided group discussion with specific questions and and meditations that you are inviting the parents into. Um but can you break down for us what elements of the kerygma you're you're kind of breaking it into? How does that how does it look to take new parents or to take parents through this process of hearing anew the tenets of the gospel? Well, and the interesting thing is they don't realize they're having the gospel proclaimed to them. Mm-hmm. It, it's just not obvious because it's not couched in those terms in the presentation. But for instance, the very first session has to do with the meaning of life. And we look at 
what our purpose is in life and uh, why we matter, why others matter. And it's just, it's just that basic, which is sort of what the, the, the beginnings of the charisma is, you know, that God loves you and he has a purpose for your life. It's just, that's sort of point number one, as you mentioned. And um, so that's the first session. So you get, you get the parents to thinking. And in that first session, I asked parents, what do you want for your life? What is the most important thing that you want for your child or your children? And I had a whiteboard and I record all the different answers up there. And then I kept it up there for the duration. And after small group, we went back and I said, you know, we're going to come back to this list. And then I'm going to tell you what I want for your children. My, my, you know, my hope for your children. And I had everything up there. Um, you know, the parents' response. Wanted to have a good education. You know, be comfortable in life financially. Financial success, you know, marital success. You know, just name anything you can think of. And then, um, and this was sort of the first heart and mind connection moment. And I did not realize how impactful it might be until it happened. And I could just see, it was like I hit the parents in the face with a pie. And at the end of that first session, before we closed in prayer, I said, I, you know, we went over, we had the list. And I said, now look at all the list. And I said, what I want for your child, and I had a, I had a slide that, popped up on the screen that said, I said, I want them to have eternal life with Jesus. And I just, you know, looking back at the audience, they all, they all kind of recoiled back because, and, and the, the interesting thing has just been a recent study released about the things that were most important to parents for their children. And the list they came up with of five items was what, my parent, how my parents responded, you know, six, seven years ago. And long story short, that you could just see the gears of their mind starting to churn. You could see it. And like I said, they came back for session number two, (laughs) which is we started to break down the Trinity. I talked about the different aspects of God. I talked about God, the father. That was one whole session. Then the second, the third session was about Jesus, the son. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit. And then we rolled all that into the uh, fifth session, I think it was, is scripture, the importance of scripture. And it was there that I talked about salvation and how as as Pope St. Pope John Paul II, I always get confused. Some people say St. John Paul II, and some people say St. Pope John Paul II. But anyway, said that, you know, the... The, the sacrament of baptism and even all the other sacraments just give us the capacity to follow. Right. It imparts right. the capacity, but there's not a guarantee. We have to cooperate with that capacity. We have to want to follow Jesus. We have to want to do the will of the Father. We have to, we have to want and desire and do these things. So, you know, I was building up to that point about salvation. We talked about that in um, that uh, session on scripture. And then we talked about the importance of community. Why you go to church, why you have to go to mass. And 
that's where I, you know, it was a new concept. I said, you know, I I mean, I put it in a, I couched it in such a way that they could receive it, that it was a sin, a serious sin to purposely miss miss mass. Mm -hmm. Parents don't know this. Yeah. A lot of Catholics aren't aware of it. Just that go to mass and go, oh, you mean, oh, you mean I, I can't ditch mass because I've got a golf game or I've got a game on or a, or a soccer game my child's participating in. So we can't do mass. We can't do mass this weekend. And I, and so, and then, but it was all very gently presented. Um, and then we end the last two sessions had to do with prayer. Second, the seventh session was the power of prayer. Then the last one was, is listening to that still small voice, how to live the will and do the will of God. So it, like I said, it's a gentle, it's a gentle rollout, but it leads to some very impactful moments in the presentation where you're just speaking truth. Mm-hmm. And by the time you get to, you know, in the middle of a session, actually by the end of that first session, I was amazed at you gain trust from the the participants. I had in every session, I had people come to me and say, may I bring my mother or my father? They would love to hear some of this. They would love to be here. I said, you could bring whomever you desire. Bring your whole family. It's not in faith formation. And I would have my grandmothers and grandfathers coming, aunts and uncles. Not, I mean, it wasn't like we doubled in size, but they would bring some of their family members. So, um, and every time that happened, I just was so grateful because I knew God was doing what God does best, which is opening up people's hearts and minds. One of my big... um soapboxes. Uh, one, of, one of the things that I, I kind of gravitate towards is next steps. Um, and, and that's going to be different for every person. The next step for the person who uh, has, you know, hasn't darkened the door since they came to First Communion themselves, is going to be very different from the daily mass goer next steps. But there's always going to be a next step. Um, so as you are proclaiming the gospel, you are putting the parents in a place where they can better understand the faith so that they can then pass it on to their children. What are some next steps that you offer as, as potentials for them to get more involved in the faith? Well, and this is where working, you know, obviously I can't be a normal side, a director of faith formation at multiple parishes. Right. It's not, it's an impossibility. Can't bilocate. Um, but I would, and I had that asked by other uh, directors of religious education or directors of faith formation. And I said, well, have ready, be ready to ha- provide something then for them to transition into during their children's formation time. We had, we did have parents after every single session step up and say, oh, you know, I would like to to be a, a catechist mm-hmm. for maybe next year or even join a class that needed some, some helpers or assistance. I, I was, it was, it was so, it was almost miraculous. Let's just put it that way because the, the people that were conducting the programs would say, you would not believe what happened. This is anecdotal evidence, right? We didn't, right. we did right. not survey it. Um, but then I had, um, 
each time I have that question posed, okay, I've enjoyed coming here. Where can I go? What can I do? So I forewarn the DREs. I say, okay, have a Bible study ready for them to roll into or make some recommendations so that that the momentum can continue and they can continue to walk and grow in their own personal faith. They, they should not be abandoned. They, you know, listen to what is necessary and see what you can provide for them. And uh, one little uh, aside here, I found that was so much easier if the program was conducted on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Because in most parishes on Sunday mornings between masses, there's usually some kind of Bible study already established or something that they can just start, they can keep coming while their child's in class um, and they can keep coming and being part of the, part of the church community. It begin that opens the door to them understanding how important it is for them to be part of the church community. Yeah. Yeah. The church needs them and they need the church. We've been talking today with Marilyn Wesson. She's the author of Building a Firm Foundation, an invitation to parents of children preparing for sacraments. It's available on our Sunday visitor. You can find it at osv.com. Marilyn, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you so much. If you missed any part of my conversation with Marilyn or you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And if you're looking for a little bit more, well, I've got good news. There is more. Because each and every week we record an extra segment that we make available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. Our Patreon support community helps keep us on the air. And in gratitude, we like to give them a couple extra questions with a guest and a deeper dive into the topic. You can learn more about that Patreon support community over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Just click that Patreon link there in the menu bar. Uh, There you'll find information about how you can become a part of that community. But also you can find some of the older extra segments that are now available to the public. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching by putting the magisterium at your fingertips, linking the catechism to Scripture to the fathers and doctors of the church, original language tools, biblical commentaries, and so much more. You can learn more at Verbum.com. Our reading today from scriptures that often does when we're talking about catechesis comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart and with your whole being and with your whole strength. Take to heart these words which I command you today. Keep repeating them to your children. Recite them when you were at home and when you were away, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them on your arm as a sign and let them be as a pendant on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. That reading comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. There's a a prompt, uh, almost a meme that's gone around the internet a few times, made the rounds. And it's a question that then the user is invited to respond to. And the question goes like this. If someone were to come up to you and offer you a million dollars to give a presentation for 30 minutes, 
where you talked about one topic for 30 minutes without notes and without preparation. What would it be? And it's always interesting to see the various things that people respond uh, because you get to know a little bit about the person and their niche interests. Well, this passage of scripture in Deuteronomy is inviting the listener to make this the thing that they would make their 30-minute presentation about. Talk about it when you uh, are at home and when you are abroad, when you rise up and when you lie down. Write it on your doorposts and on your gates. Make this the center thing that you continually talk about. Uh, and the, the context of this is that the people of God have all gathered together to hear what the Lord would say to them. And what he says to them is two things. One, um, be a disciple. Right, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, uh, and strength. And second, be a missionary. Not only should you be a disciple and love the Lord your God, but you should be a missionary and talk about it at all times and all places. And in this context, be a missionary to your own home, to your children. Teach this diligently to your children. One translation uh, renders it. A- and so. For us as parents, specifically as um, we're talking about being uh, being disciplers of our children as they prepare to approach the sacraments, for us as parents, uh, first of all, we need to get that order correctly, that we are first and foremost disciples, and then out of that, we're able to be missionaries. Uh, but that also, the, our own faith is uh, is important, but it's not enough. We have to hand it on to our children. We have to give that gift that we have received in a way that our children can also receive it. And to break that out and understand it a little bit better, we're going to today, for our reading from church history, go back not very far uh, to a document from um, from Vatican II. This is the Declaration on Christian Education called uh, Gravissimum Educationis. And it says this, Since parents have given children their life, they are bound by the most serious obligation to educate their offspring, and therefore must be recognized as the primary and principal educators. This role in education is so important that only with difficulty can it be supplied where it is lacking. Parents are the ones who must create a family atmosphere animated by love and respect for God and man in which the well-rounded personal and social education of children is fostered. Hence, the family is the first school of social virtues that every society needs. It is particularly in the Christian family, enriched by the grace and office of the sacrament of matrimony, that children should be taught from their early years to have a knowledge of God according to the faith received in baptism to worship him, and to love their neighbor. Here, too, they find their first experience of a wholesome human society and of the church. Finally, it is through the family that they are gradually led to a companionship with their fellow men and with the people of God. Let parents then recognize the inestimable importance a truly Christian family has for the life and progress of God's own people. 
The family, which has the primary duty of imparting education, needs help of the whole community. In addition, therefore, to the rights of parents and others to whom the parents entrust a share of the work in education, certain rights and duties belong indeed to civil society, whose role is to direct what is required for the common temporal good. Its function is to promote the education of youth in many ways, namely, to protect the duties and rights of parents and others who share in education and give them aid, according to the principle of subsidiarity, when the endeavors of parents and other societies are lacking, to carry out the work of education in accordance with the wishes of the parents, and moreover, as the common good demands to build schools and institutions. Finally, in a special way, the duty of educating belongs to the Church, not merely because she must be recognized as a human society capable of educating, but especially because she has the responsibility of announcing the way of salvation to all men, of communicating the life of Christ to those who believe, and in her unfailing solicitude of assisting men to be able to come to the fullness of this life. The Church is bound as a mother to give to these children of hers an education by which their whole life can be imbued with the Spirit of Christ, and at the same time, do all she can to promote for all peoples the complete perfection of the human person, the good of earthly society, and the building of a world that is more human. That reading, again, comes from a declaration on Christian education from Vatican II, Gravissimum Educationis. And I wanted to read this in particular because of one specific thing. So often we hear that that term um, bandied about, that, that parents are the primary educators. And it is absolutely true, and the Church repeats it over and over and over again, but I think that sometimes we might misunderstand what the Church is talking about. In fact, I've seen in some parishes uh, an a tendency or a thought that what's really needed because parents are the primary educators is just to empower them to be the catechists. And so to send a book home and to not take on the responsibility in the parish of actually doing the faith formation or doing some kind of of family formation that equips the parents to do more at home. And I'm all for equipping parents to be able to disciple their children. But at the same time, the church in her in her um writings does not place on parents the the classroom education responsibility when the church talks about us as parents being the primary educators she speaks very much of a of an organic and natural way. In fact, in the general directory for catechesis, when speaking of the family's role, it says, it is indeed a Christian education more witnessed to than taught, more occasional than systematic, more ongoing and daily than structured into periods. And of the church, that same, uh, that same document says, the parish is without a doubt the most important locus which the Christian community is formed and expressed. And so in partnership together, the, the family with its organic teaching and the parish with its, its systematic catechetical teaching are partners in creating lifelong 
missionary disciples. So if you've ever felt overwhelmed because you didn't think you could do all the systematic stuff, the good news is your role is organic. And then also your role is to provide uh, a place for your children to grow in the faith in a systematic way. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show was brought to you by Brandy Carey and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link to learn more. Join us on social media at Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.